Welcome to the 45th episode of the New Ventures podcast with your host Sanjoy Sanyal, founder of Regain Paradise, a climate finance consulting firm and a visiting fellow at the Cambridge Judge Business School. I do the New Ventures podcast to help people starting new climate initiatives learn from people already progressed in their paths. Our guest for today is Cecil Duranton, managing director of Time for Planet a non-profit crowdfunding platform which is planning to raise 1 billion euros to fund 100 companies with high impact climate change solutions i'm really looking forward to this conversation because this is an example of using the tools of business but standing the logic of financing on its head individuals replace institutions as investors so we can build the businesses that we as a society really need. Welcome Cecil. Thank you Sanjay. Nice to be with you. Cecil, we'll start by of course congratulating you. You have reached 100,000 investors on your platform by December end. You're quite active on social media actually. Tell us a little bit about where you started and how you have come this far. Of course and indeed we all the team was very happy at the end of the year because we reached the 100,000 shareholders which is kind of crazy. So to come back a little bit in time we started time for the pet at the end of 2019 in France so it was the very beginning and actually the goal at the beginning was to go and do conferences everywhere but then as we all know covid happened so it changed a little bit the plans of time for the planet but even with the covid situation thanks to webinars and to very strong communication on social media with videos and all of that we were able step by step to grow so it took around i think nearly one year to raise 1 million uh, euros so it took quite a long time and now we have 15 million euros uh, so the beginning was slower because lots of people didn't really know uh, what we were doing and at the beginning we didn't have any proof of what we were doing because we didn't have any innovation we have invested in we didn't have like real project to show we didn't have much people either so it was a little bit of a challenge and so step by step in 2020 it started going in France and by the mid of the year it was starting to actually seem to to be possible to work which was crazy and then in 2021 it really started very strongly in France so like shoulder started to to grow quite quick it took more and more people to come by uh, the end of the year we were already quite a, a few shareholders and we also were able to have not only citizens shareholder but bigger shareholder major shareholder we will invest uh, for example 200,000 euros in one time and things like that and then 2022 was a year of acceleration so of course in France but we also started to have a little bit of a more international approach which was a goal from the beginning but we were born in France so we needed first to prove ourselves on that you could work in France but because we saw it was working then we started also to do a more international approach and that's when i joined the team to do exactly that 2022 basically is a quite good year we had some major investors investing for example one of our first investor decided to reinvest and go to total of 1 million euro 
So now we have a few shoulders who, who invested 1 million euros. And we have big discussion with major shoulders, but also on the citizen side, it has been growing quite fast. And at the end of the year, so last year, 2022, we decided to do a huge operation where we wanted to, to reach 100,000 shoulders. Uh, so we started this, uh, so I think it was on the 25th of December, we started the challenge. And at the time, we were a little bit than 70,000 shoulders. So we had more than 30,000 shoulders to, to find, which is basically the half of what we had till the beginning in five days we wanted to have the same amount of shoulders that we had in three years which was a crazy challenge and somehow we did it we we believed in it we asked our shoulders to help us find all the shoulders some of them brought like 50 people to become shoulders so it was quite a crazy thing and we ended up reaching uh, more than 100,000 shoulders by the end of the of this challenge so on the 31st of December. So it's been quite a ride, but we are really, really proud and really happy to get to this point and really impressed by our community as well, because that's thanks to them if we could do that. Well, 30,000 shareholders, investors, citizen investors, as you call them, when the whole world was hibernating, actually. When I saw it on first and social media on the 24th of December, 25th of December, I was frankly very skeptical. So double congratulations, actually. You have different types of investors. You've already talked about people investing 200,000. You've talked about citizen investors and you've talked about people coming back and putting in a million euros, right? And then that's obviously means the various types of investors. Could you help us understand the various types? Yeah, sure. And that's one of the things that is quite wonderful in time for the planet. It's designed to have everyone come on board, basically, being a citizen or a company or even like we have a city in France who is shelter. So it's really designed to have everyone coming in. And one of the things we did to make sure that everyone could come is that anyone can become a shareholder from one euro. So one share is one euro and you can just buy only one share to become a shareholder. So we have lots of different people in our, our shoulders. So the first one are, of course, the citizen that would just want to, to put a few euros to help us. In average, the citizen, they put around 150 euros, which is quite high, actually, for crowdfunding. Of course, that's uh, people we have the most. So today we have, yeah, 100,000 shoulders who are citizens. And you will have a lot of different people. We have some students because it's very accessible, so they can actually uh, come in the adventure. We have people, uh, you know, who are already working. We also have people who are a little bit more senior in the in their career. It's fun because, like most of shareholders in time for the planet, are twenty five, thirty. But actually, I think a lot of our shareholders are between thirty five and forty five. I think something like that. We do have lots of people from different backgrounds, and that's one of the strengths of Time for the Planet. The goal is really to work together, and we can bring together people who would not work together normally because we, we have a very positive message and we, we really want to have this kind of uh, climate action that you, where you don't have judgment, basically. And everyone is welcome. So that's the first thing, the citizens. Then we have people who, lots of them are entrepreneurs who either have a successful company or sold their company recently. And so they will invest somewhere between 20,000 euros to 
100, 200,000 euros, most of them. And they are very, very helpful because time participant is based on entrepreneurship. They quite relate easily to our project because that's basically what they do. So that's another type of investor that we have. We also had quite early what we call family office, a family who, who have quite a bit of money and they, they want to invest in different projects. And most of the time it goes quite quickly for them to invest because when they are convinced about the climate crisis and all of that, they, they just take the decision quite quickly. And if they love the project, they just do it. And then we have companies, I mean, bigger companies, not the one where you have the founder who is still in charge, but bigger companies with shoulders. And they are a little bit harder to get because decision process is longer. But we do have uh, some of them joining. It takes a lot more time because they need to convince a lot of people in the company. So it takes time. But state by state, we are starting to have more of them. So that's a little bit of the different investors we have. We are working to always have more type of people. And I say we have like a, a city, for example, in France, which is shareholder which is rare, but it's also a possibility. You know, we try to, to really be able to welcome everyone. So in your recruiting process of investors, obviously you do the social media for uh, citizen investors, but do you put effort into getting the, the large companies? You said uh, they're coming in and they take a lot of time. I'm wondering whether it is worth the time for you to convince them to come in or if they see this and they see a lot of their employees joining in, they would join on their own. Yeah, so actually we, we don't go to see them by ourselves. Like all the major companies we are talking to, they come from our network of shareholder and mostly by themselves, but it still takes a lot of time. So we don't go and prospect for a bigger company, but because they have lots of their employees who become shareholders, start talking about it, then they start thinking, oh, maybe we, we should join. But even when they have this will, you know, to, to join and to, to be part of the adventure, it still takes a lot of time. And so we know like most people are already convinced, but it's just companies, uh, bigger companies, uh, they have like a, a decision process, which is very long. But on the other side, it's quite interesting because when we discuss with the big, biggest company, uh, we are talking about like 3 million, 5 million. So even if they take time to take the decision, it's worth the time. So, but we have different people working on the citizen, so to, to, to have our citizen joining. And we have someone, so Claire, her name, uh, she's working with also Emma. Uh, both of them are working with major investors. So we have a specific strategy with them, a specific presentation for them because they don't have the same expectation as a citizen. But it's worth the time because it's a, a lot bigger amount of money when they invest. Right. How does the investing process work? So, so, so just explain to us, you know, somebody signs up, any one of this type, and how do they actually buy the shares and to the point they can perhaps exit? Sure. For citizens or a company who want to do a smaller amount of money, so depending, it's quite easy, actually. To sign up is basically you go on our website and you click on become a shareholder. You have a forum where we will ask all the information we need legally. For example, for someone, we need to have, of course, a name. We also need the date of birth because they are becoming shareholders. So 
we need to have a little bit more information than when you do like a donation to a company because you're actually uh, going to own a little part of the company. Uh, but it's quite easy in like five minutes, you, you can fill out the form and then you need to, to sign a subscription form, which is a legal document. It just gives you the number of share you have, uh, what's the price of the shares as well. And once you have done that, uh, you will become a shareholder in our next capital increase. Why do I say that is because the way we are fundraising is by successive capital increases. So each time we finish one capital increase, we start a new one because we are raising all the time. And you become a shareholder once we have finished the capital increase you participate to. to. So basically, if uh, we are doing a capital increase and it finished two weeks after you, you decided to become a shareholder, then you will become a shareholder once it's finished uh, officially. So that's how it works for citizens. It's quite easy to do. For biggest company, of course, we have like investment protocol that we sign with them and that we adapt depending on what they want and all of that. So we have our juridical person who, who will work with them to, to get this properly because, of course, they, they have a little bit of different needs, most of them. So that's about it for how you can become an investor. Then once you're in, you are an investor, one of the things that is quite key is you, we invite you to all our general meetings. And in general meetings, uh, we vote pretty much everything, including the investment we are going to do. It's a way of, uh, for people and uh, companies who decide to invest in time for the planet to, to actually participate strongly in the decisions. And then if you want to leave Time for the Planet, so basically Time for the Planet, one of our goals is shareholder who wants to. Uh, we want to be able to, to buy back the shares at the same price they bought it, so at one euro after 10 years, which is uh, still a goal and we have not yet the certainty that we will succeed because it, of course, depends on the success of the companies we have invested in. But that's our goal and we work really hard to do that. And the second option is you can at any time sell your shares to anyone who wants to buy them. Most people will be like, yeah, but why would they buy my shares while you are always selling shares at one euro anyway? And so there is something we did that is quite interesting in Time for the Planet is depending on the year you are buying your share, you have different class of share. For example, anyone who bought shares in 2021 or before, they have class A. In 2022, they have class B. And soon we will be in class C because we are finishing the last capital increase of 2022 and we will start our new capital increase of 2023. And then it will be class C. So now what's the difference between the class? Basically, each class, it made us know when you invested and if you invested in 2021 and so have class a shares you will participate to finance all the innovation from the beginning if you have class b then you participate to finance innovation from 2022 and not the one from 2021 and what's the point of that in time for the planet there is no financial return for investors so it's we don't have any financial dividend for investors however what we do have is a measure of impact, which is called climate dividend. And it's something we are working a lot on to, to make sure that it will become a standard in investment. Actually, climate dividend is not only time for the planet. 
we were at the origin of it, but now uh, lots of different organizations are working on it, like the United Nations, for example, the CDP or gold standard. So we have lots of people uh, working and our goal is to make it a standard. And why am I talking about climate dividend is because at the end of the year, as a shareholder, you receive climate dividend depending on the impact of the innovation you participated to finance. So if you have class A shares, you will receive more climate dividends than if you have class B. Logically, because we invested in some product in 2021 and the people who decided to become shareholder in 2022 won't benefit from the climate dividend that are coming from the product we invested in 2021. This way, it gives an extra value to older shares. And so today it's still the beginning because climate dividends are just starting. But our goal is to make Time for the Planet such a, a powerful climate dividend emitter and that people who will come later will want to buy class A shares because they get a lot more climate dividend than like, for example, when they buy a class D or a class E share. I will deep dive a little bit more. But it's anyway very interesting. First of all, my question is, as a citizen investor, do I get a chance to choose the company in which I buy investment in? From what you said, it looks like the larger investor, I do get that choice. But as a citizen investor? No, when you invest as a citizen, you are going to invest in all products. So you don't invest in one specific project. So you invest in Time for the Planet and then Time for the Planet will invest on your behalf, basically. But you do participate to the selection of the innovation we decide to invest in through the general meeting and also at the very beginning of the process. We are actually relying on collective intelligence to pre-select the, the project. So you have a participation of citizens to select the project that we will invest in. Now, the main reason citizens decide to invest is because today lots of people are realizing that climate crisis is a real problem and they want to do something about it but lots of people don't really know what to do so they do start to do some individual action like you know reducing a little bit the meat they, they eat or taking more the trains instead of the car stuff like that that they try to do step by step in their lives but it does take uh, quite a lot of efforts and there is a limit to that once you have done all you could i mean climate change is still here and so Time for the Planet was designed to be a tool for citizens to find a way to actually participate in a collective action, not only rely on their, collect, on their individual uh, actions, but be part of something bigger. So it's really a way to give citizens a real tool to, to really act and don't feel this, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do, and then kind of get a bit depressed about it. And so it's really to have citizens entering in action and see that as a collective, they can actually have an impact. And the impact we have today is thanks to the citizens, because all the major investors that will have never come if it wasn't because the citizens were supporting us. So it gives the power to citizens to, to actually act and have a weight in the balance of what's happening right now. Right. As a company, maybe. Do I get the chance to choose the company I invest in? Or even there, I invest in Time for Planet. Who invests on my behalf? Yeah. So all investors, they can't invest in one project when they invest in Time for the Planet. They do invest in Time for the Planet and then we invest on their behalf. However, for a major investor, the one that are, have been putting millions, we do offer a possibility of co-investment on the second round. So basically, we always do the first round ourselves because 
the goal is basically to de-risk the company, to make sure it's going the good way and all of that. And then normally we have a second round and we we will invite our, our major investor to co-invest with us. So they have a priority to be co-investors. And that's one of the things that interests them quite a lot because when they are co-investing, then uh, you know it's a more traditional investment and they can actually have return on investment in this way because they are not investing in time for the planet, but investing directly in our company. But that's something we offer for our, we call them our core partners. Uh, so they are basically the investors that have, really participate a lot in time for the planet and then they can choose which one it will be so when we have an investment a second round investment that we need to do we will tell them okay we have this innovation that we we are looking for more funds do you want to to co-invest with us or not so that's basically how it works but the first time when they invest in time for the planet it's just for all projects there is no specific projects they invest in right and then one just last question just to make sure I understand this. You said that there's a climate dividend concept and obviously the class one investments that you have made, which is earlier on in the process, will yield more climate dividends, climate benefits, which is correct. But what I could not understand is if I come in now, I could still buy class A investments. I thought they were all gone, right? No, you can't buy class A from time for the planet, but you can find someone who owns class A and buy from them. Like, for example, I do own class A shares. If someone wants to buy them, I could sell my class A to someone else. However, it's impossible to get them from time for the planet. So time for the planet is always uh, selling shares at the price of one euro. So we never change the price. However, the class of the shares, they change. So right now we have class B, which will change in probably two weeks or something once we finalize the last capital increase and we will go to class C. So once we go to class C, we will never again sell class B or sales as time for the planet. Now you have a lot of people who do own class A and class B and you can go and buy from them but there is a quite high chance that because they have class a and class b and it's not available like in time for the bed anymore if you want to buy them they will want to sell them with a higher price i think this is excellent because you have covered so much material i will try and summarize this section a little bit in just in my own words and so the first thing that i heard from you is that it started slow and then at least in terms of the citizen participation it is really spiral this is perhaps just the way network effects were you added 30000 which is half the number you already had a one third of your current number in just 5 days when the whole world was hibernating and i think that's amazing most of these individual investors are a little older i think that that's an interesting point uh, and uh, some of them, of course, are uh, uh, just you know putting in this 150 euros. So, I mean, they probably have a reasonable amount of saving. But some of them are exited uh, founders and businesses who are coming in putting a little larger amounts in companies. And then what I'm hearing you say as sort of conversation starts in office, water coolers and WhatsApp chats, companies start approaching you and they can put in a large amount of money, which of course has benefited you. A couple of things that you're doing which are extremely interesting. And I, to be honest, I have worked in the finance world for many, many years, and I haven't heard anybody say this in the way you are saying. I think you are taking two things out of the table. One is you're taking expectations of financial returns out of the table. 
and to a lot of people that will be wow why should people come but the fact that you have 100000 people coming in without expectations of financial returns to me is a very interesting point the second thing that you're probably taking out of the table is the concept of valuation which is you know how the equity investing world goes and once you've taken these two out of the table you know your motivation for investing really focuses on this climate dividend and there you are probably trying to create a little bit of a secondary market and I'm the way I'm thinking about this is that if I own a class A share you know, after 5 years it's probably something like a Chippendale furniture or or a rare stamp which I can sell sell at a premium and that creates a slightly different way of financial markets so you know obviously what you're doing is extremely unique and i'm looking forward to the next step of our conversation where we we're going to talk a little bit about the innovation you have actually funded with this type of money so to begin that off let me ask you sisal you have four themes and 20 priority issues just introduce them for us and help us understand why you chose those four themes and issues Yeah so we do have uh, 20 problems 20 issues we are trying to answer but they didn't come up from nowhere they actually came from reading the IPC reports and trying to understand where uh, we could act so the first thing we looked at was the five main sector which are emitting greenhouse gases today so of course we have energy we have industry transportation agriculture and construction that's the five most emitting sectors so we thought that's the one we need to try to act on and then we say okay but how do we act on this and in the ipcc report we found four levers of action that they recommend so one is zero emission so basically to do the same without emitting any greenhouse gases then you have energy efficiency so to have a better yield and diminish the the resources you need uh, to do something then you have sufficiency which uh, is quite a new concept that i mean we didn't weren't used to talk about a few years ago but now it's quite strong in the ipcc report and sufficiency is basically to reduce our need and to consume less so we have less greenhouse gases emissions and the last one is capture so the three first ones are really about having less emission from human society and the last one capture is really to to be able to capture what we have already emitted and to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases we have in the atmosphere and this one is quite important because today we are at a stage where we emitted too much to just reduce our emission we also need to capture our emissions to be able to come back to reasonable levels of co2 and so that's something we know is really important and we need to combine both reducing and capturing our emissions and so with that we came up to with 20 problems uh, so i'm probably not going to go through all of them you can uh, find them on our website but just to give you an example if we are talking about agriculture uh, for example and we are talking about capture then we can protect and help uh, the natural carbon sinks and help them grow faster so that's one example if i'm talking about construction and sufficiency then it's about how do you uh, have buildings that will consume less energy so you have for example passive buildings uh, you have insulation for example as well so it's a way to to make sure that we consume less by the design of the building 
Now, if I talk about energy efficiency to in the industry, we can reduce the losses and uh, recover the heat that is wasted during the process. And finally, if I take an example in zero emission for transportation, for example, we will have to, how we, can we travel without using fossil fuels? So for example, electricals will be a part of the solution. So that's our four uh, levers combined with five most emitting sectors. Right. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how you source investors or shareholders, as you call them. The flip side, how do you source innovations and companies? Yes, here I'm going to start talking about the power of community, because the way we do this is by having a lot of people inside Time for the Planet, lots of people who are shareholders who want Time for the Planet to work. They will talk a lot about it. They know people in different sectors. So that's a very, very powerful way to do it. And so most of our innovations, they actually came to us by themselves, let's say, because Time for the Planet is a citizen movement, is each day a little bit more well-known. And so innovators hear about it and want to join the adventure. Because we have a huge community, because we are communicating a lot on social media as well, People just know about us and want to join. We do also have a bit of work that we do with, for example, labs or incubators, uh, this kind of structure where we explain to them what is time for the planet so they can tell their innovators when they need funding that time for the planet is an option. But honestly, today, the big part of our innovation is coming in from just network that people who are talking about time for the planet. And, you know, our shareholders they are pretty much everywhere in all companies, in labs, in incubators, they are everywhere. They are talking about time for the planet. And with time, we are more and more quite well-known company. And they know we are a serious company when it comes to funding innovations. So that's something that is quite quite strong. It's very, very strong in France today because we, we have been there for, for three years now. And it's starting step by step to grow in the UK, for example, and we have more and more innovation coming from other places. But that's basically our main source of innovations. And while they come through recommendations, so there is some amount of comfort, I guess you still have to assess them, right? Exactly. And we have a very unique assessment process because as you might expect, if we are relying on network and people coming because they know about Time for the Planet and we are more and more well-known, we do have lots of innovation coming in. Today we had more than 1,000 innovations that were submitted. We started having innovation coming in in 2021 because the first year it was too early. So from 2021 till now, we have more than 1,000 innovations that came in. I think we are around 1,200, something like that. And so it's a huge work to assess all of that. So the way we do it is uh, with a four-step process. The first step relies on collective intelligence. This is a very strong uh, point, and it's very interesting for a few things. First of all, because it allows us to process lots of innovation quite quickly. Second, because it's a way of involving people in the pro selection process, involving citizens in this climate action, and it's really interesting. And third, because we use collective intelligence, not only we were able to pre-select our product on the criteria we, we have defined, and I can tell you just after which one they are, but also we can see how the public feels about an innovation, which is a very interesting information to have. And we can do that because we have lots of people assessing our innovation. 
So basically, we call these people assessors. Anyone can become an assessor. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to work in a specific field. Really, anyone can be an assessor. And for example, my mother is an assessor. Like It's really open to everyone. You just have to go through a training, which is one hour. Uh, we all training quite regularly, both in French and in English. And once you have done the training, you will access a platform and you can start assessing projects. And because it's collective intelligence, we need at least 50 people to assess one project to get a relevant result. And we have been testing that for more than two years now. And so we can really see that with the same level of information, we get the same answer from one expert with 50 people who are not expert at all. And it's a very interesting thing. It's also quite fast and it's an amazing process uh, here. And once we have pre-selected the innovations, uh, so we do normally three times a year a pre-selection. So after this pre-selection, the ones that have been pre-selected by the assessors, they will go to our scientific committee. So our scientific committee, they are really here to, to challenge innovator. The assessors, they are here to see if there is a potential, if we think that this innovation fits uh, time for the planet criteria. And then the scientific committee is here to challenge and to go deeper and to, you know, to have time with the innovator, to talk with them, to ask them more questions. They also ask external experts to help at time, to give their, their advice, their opinion. So it's a, we'll say, stronger and deeper process then. And they are able to do that because we have a pre-selection and so they have just a few innovations that come to them. Our six criteria, which are used by both assessor and scientific committee. So the first one is, of course, impact on greenhouse gases. So we need something that has the potential to have a huge impact. We are working on innovation which have a huge impact and a global impact. Local projects are really important, but that's not what Time for the Brain is designed to do. So it's really what the size of the problem that is addressed by the project, what part of the market we could have uh, with, with the innovation to determine what's the total impact of an innovation. Then the second criteria is feasibility. Of course, it needs to be feasible because some products look great on paper, but then if there is uh, some error in equations or anything like that, then it's not possible. And not only feasible at a small scale, but feasible at a bigger scale because we need to scale up our innovations so they can spread everywhere. And linked to that, we have the replicability criteria, which is basically um, if something only works in just a small region, then it's not going to have a massive impact worldwide. So we need something that is possible to do in other places, either something that has a very limited material resources and you can only find it in a specific place, or it is just a local farm. We don't invest in this kind of project. Uh, we'd really invest in something that you can easily replicate everywhere. Then you have the externalities, which is very important because we are working on climate change, that's our main point, but it's important when you work on climate change to make sure that you don't have a negative effect on other problems such as biodiversity, human health, for example, all the other things that you can have uh, that are not climate change directly, but are really important as well. So we make sure that our the impact on other criteria is at least neutral. And if it's positive, it's a plus. But we don't want to do something that will be negative on biodiversity, for example, even if it's good for climate change. Then we have the market. Of course, 
can we find clients for this? Because the best innovation, if you can't find clients for this, will have no impact at all. So we need to make sure there is a market for it. And finally, what is the disruptive potential? So the goal of this is to understand how different it is from the solution that already exists, how different it is from the potential competitors to see that we actually have a game-changing innovation here. So that's our six criteria, which both our assessor and our scientific committee will go through. So then our scientific committee today, there are 14 people, 14 multidisciplinary experts. So we have people who are more researcher. We also have people who are a little bit more in the entrepreneur world. So we're trying to combine different skills and from different sectors so they can have a relevant opinion uh, that is quite complete. And they work together and they have to agree together on what uh, they decide to give to the innovation as a mark for each criteria. If it passes the scientific committee, then we go through market tests. So market tests, basically, we go directly to see potential customers and we see if they are willing to buy, what's missing, what they need, all of that. That's also a time where we test the team because as you can see, since the beginning of the process, we didn't at all talk about the team because for us, the most important is the impact of the innovation, first of all, before the team. The reason why it's the most important and not the team, because you will say, yeah, but for an innovation to spread, you need a good team. And we absolutely agree on that. But one of the things we do, which is very, very specific to Time for the Planet, it's when we decide to invest in innovation, we make an assessment of the current team and see if we need to add someone in the team. And especially an entrepreneur, because lots of innovators today, they are scientists, they are engineers, researchers, and they are great at what they do, but not, they are not especially entrepreneurs. And that's one of the problems. That's one of the reasons why the innovation, they are not spreading. And so when we are testing the team, we analyze if we need to add an entrepreneur. And if that's the case, then we will already be starting to do the hiring process to find the right person for the team and try to make them work together already to see if there is a good fit. And so that's a very key point because even the best ID, if you don't have a good execution, that will never spread. So we know it's so important. And we decided to do this this way, so to hire an entrepreneur and to make him join the team, be the CEO, instead of doing mentoring for a few reasons. The first one is Lots of innovators that actually don't really want to be entrepreneurs anyways. They want to, to work on the technical side of the innovation, but not on the sales or the strategy, the business models, the pitch, all of that. That's not really what they want to. And so there is no point of force them to do this so they can spread the innovation. And the second thing is, even if they want to, it takes time to learn. And we think with climate change, we don't have much time. So we need to go as fast as possible. So we take someone who has the skills to do that. And so once we have done all of that, if we decide, okay, we think we need to invest and we will measure what are the needs. So for example, we need 1 million to uh, hire a technical director to have the first prototype working, whatever it is that we need, we will calculate that. And then we will write an investment note for our shareholders. So the investment note is everything from the assessor process, the scientific committee, the market test, all of that. And we will give that to all our shareholders and we will call a general meeting where they can vote. So for each innovation, they will say yes or no. So if we, we suggest to, to invest 1 million in a company, they will just vote yes or no. And they decide whether they want to give us the authorization to do it or not. 
And so that's about it for the process. And in the vote, will the person who has put in 150, will he or she have one vote? And the person who has put in a million or two million, will they have two million votes? That's an interesting question. So legally in a company, you, you have to have one share equal one vote. So we have it because that's legally, you have no choice. You have to do that. But the form of the company we have in time for the planet is quite specific. So it's a French legal form, which is a little bit similar to a limited partnership by share in the UK. When it comes to this model, there is quite a strong power that is given to the, the directors, the, managing, the managers of the project, which gives them a veto right to any decision that is taken in, in the general meeting. This is interesting. Why? Because we had it in articles of association, we added a double majority and it only works because there is this veto right. So the double majority says that, of course, you have the one share, one vote, but you also have one person or entity equal one vote. So, which means that no matter if you have one million or one share, you have the same weight in the second vote. And so if the second vote goes like on the contrary of the first one, so meaning if the companies and the citizens are not agreeing, basically, then we, the managing directors, they have the obligation to apply their veto rights, which means that if, for example, a company that has a lot of shares in time for the planet wants to push something that is kind of against the spirit of the project, they can't because the citizen will vote against and then there will be a veto right. So we did a double majority to give back more power to the citizens and to the people who have a less share but have a lot more people inside. And one of the goals is to protect the project and to make sure that it will always, as we, we designed it from the beginning and for the purpose of climate change. Very nice. And after you make the investment, I guess you measure their impact, which is the climate dividend that you talked about. But you also, I guess, have to monitor their financial progress. So a little bit about that process. Of course, for innovation or participation, we have to get more data. So, of course, the impact is the most important. They have to report the climate dividend with us. This is something that is already in place. And that's one of their obligations. I mean, that's uh, obviously, but we also have to know how they are doing. And we are very, very close to our participation. So they do reporting regularly. So now we, we have a type of reporting where they can just enter all the data and we get them. We are uh, putting in place as well a little bit more qualitative, I would say, reporting with them. And so every month we have reports from them and we know what they are doing. Uh, we know how well it's going. We have the numbers. We don't give the numbers to all of our shareholders because most of our shareholders, you know, that's too much information they are not really interested in, especially the citizens. They don't really want to, to know the detail of the accounting stuff, most of them. Uh, however, we are doing special reports for our major investor because that's something that they care a lot more about. So we do special reports for them with uh, the proper numbers financial number, impact number, so they can have all the information. So we have a follow-up uh, on all our, our participations and we are very close to them. It's not exactly like a, a traditional fund because when they join Time for the Planet, most of them, they really join it because they believe in the project, they love the way we do it and they, they want to be funded by Time for the Planet because it's a very specific approach. 
today it's, it's very easy. And anyway, we have some people in the team who are following up every week with all the CEO of all our participations. So we are very much aware of everything that is happening. We do visit them regularly as well. It's a partnership that is very healthy. And they are part of the family in a way that's a, a quite big adventure we are all on. So we don't have any problem to get all the data we need. You have covered a lot of ground, so I'll try and summarize this section a little bit before we move on. I think you chose your problems, and I like it, right from the science, from the IPCC documents. And how many investors read IPCC documents? And obviously you read them, and congratulations to you for that very step in the first place. And then you source your innovations through this network effect. And obviously that's very strong in France today, but it will, I suppose, grow rapidly as you succeed in your role as international expansion manager. The one thing that I found interesting about the criteria of selection, you obviously, like other investors, have multiple criteria, but the issue is around the global uh, solution, the big global solutions that will create a significant impact on climate change you know that's what you're set up for and that's what you're really looking to fund the process itself is of course quite unique because you have intelligent lay people if you may assess the innovations in the first place and think that is obviously interesting then you have a scientific committee which is really looking at the science and then you have the looking at the things that typical investors would look at the first which is the team and so on and so forth and what you're saying is that you can sort of co-create that innovation into a business by hiring the team and then deciding how much investment the project will need people have to report on their climate dividend, which is what your investors are looking for. The voting process is struck me as, as something, again, very unique. This two-step process that you have to ensure that large institutional investors are not uh, dominating the voice of the citizen community, I think, again, you know, extremely unique. Obviously, you're, you're doing a lot of things which are unique. I will now go on to talk a little bit about the difference you're creating because of these processes. And Cecil, the one thing that is obviously very critical is that you are asking the innovators to make the innovations open source. And what does this mean in practice? So we use open source to make the concept easier to understand, but it's open source models, but it's not the open source as uh, we are used to in like software where you have the code available online and stuff like that. It's a little bit more uh, structured than that. So for us, what we do is we have free license. Free license, they are basically a contract. We actually have a patent on the innovation and then we use this patent to have free license, which are available for free to anyone who wants to ask them. A free license gives rights to the licensee. So among the rights you have, of course, to use the innovation, to commercialize it, and also to improve it. And then you have also obligations that come with the license, which is very important. The first obligation is to report on the sales and everything so we can calculate the climate dividend from it, which is very important because when we finance innovation, we don't only take the impact of our own company, but the impact of the whole open source model, the whole licenses, people who are working on it. It's very important. Then the second thing is, Every time we have someone improving the innovation, 
they have to share with everyone else, which means that instead of competing and having everyone investing to uh, get an improvement on the side and patent it and not working together, then we cooperate. And so everyone works together and it goes a lot faster. That's the, the two obligations that will be in every free license. Now, depending on the free license, of course, we can, because it's a contract, we can design uh, exactly what will be the different points if you want to add something specific for example if we say oh you can only use it in a specific sector or we can have uh, different things but the goal is to have this free and to allow the innovation to spread as fast as possible today we don't have yet one of our innovation with a free license because that's something that takes time and we need first to have major innovation and to know what kind of business model we are going to do to be able to do properly the free license. However, we should have the first one by the end of the year because one of our innovation now is maturing us to do it. Very quickly to tell you what it is. So it's called Cool Roof France and it's basically a white paint, a very specific and technical white paint that you put on roofs. And thanks to that, you will decrease the temperature inside uh, the building, which means that people will use less air conditioning during the summer. So this one is already selling, is already doing quite well. We, we are starting to have a good idea of what will be the business model. So we are going to start to do the free license work and to, to put it in place this year. So there is a lot of IP work to do. So it's a, it's a bit complex and I'm not the one to, to lead with that. But it should soon be available and it will be quite a, a fascinating journey to have our first free license uh, coming out. And it's a very important thing for us because that's the way we can actually spread our innovations fast and not only create companies, but actually create markets. And that's the whole point of time for the planet. And that's why we need innovation that can have a global impact that can be replicable everywhere is to have the fastest possible, the biggest impact possible. Well, I get that, that you patent it and then you make it a free license. But one thing that is puzzling me is, so does this mean that companies cannot raise money from other investors? No, they can. They can raise money, but most of them, they don't really like to raise money anyway. So they go through us and then we do mostly co-investment with our major investors and all of that. And anyway, when they go to, I would say, new investors, that's something that we negotiate around the open source models. I know some of of the investors, I don't like it because they want a, an IP and all of that. And I guess there is quite a strong belief that a great idea needs to be protected because if you if you don't protect it, then you might have some people stealing it and then you, you don't get value from it. We quite disagree with that because we think that on the contrary, and a lot of examples have showed that, uh, when you share, then you accelerate the deployment of your innovation. And then instead of having... Uh, the world market, 100% of a very small market, then you might have only 20 or 30%, but of a huge market because everyone then is talking about it and everyone is starting to use it. And that's huge accelerator. And we also believe that more than a great idea, you need great execution. And execution is what makes a difference. And actually we see that all the time, but we have people starting in a very crowded market where you'll say, oh, there is no space for anyone else. It's impossible, but actually because they have a great execution, they are able to, to strive. So it's really sure that 
execution is a key point. But so yeah, we can have other investor. We tend to always invite first or major investor to, to come in and anyway, or the companies we work with. So the company we invest in, one of the reasons they come to Time for the Planet is also open source because they believe their innovation needs to be spread as fast as possible. That's something we negotiate with them from the beginning. So the one we are not agreeing with that they actually don't get in time for the parent adventure because if uh, that's something they are against, we won't fund them anyway. It's not a problem and the investors that come on board after us must be aligned as well with the open source model. We are coming to the end of the podcast, so I'll end by a couple of quick questions on your own organization, Time for Planet. You're a fairly young organization. You said you pretty much started during the pandemic. But I noticed you have a business plan till 2031, right? Just tell us a little bit about the next 10 years. Yeah, it's true that we are uh, fairly young and we did actually do a lot of stuff in three last years. Of course, the first years were basically to do a proof of concept. And because lots of people were saying it was impossible to do what we wanted, that no one will invest with no return on investment, like a lot of people couldn't really believe it was possible, but it seems that it's possible. So we did our proof of concept and we are pretty sure now like the proof of concept is done. Now you are asking me about what's coming next. And of course, so there is a few things, you know, our, our goal is to raise a total of 1 billion to finance 100 innovations. Of course, we don't have to, to do exactly that. If we raise a little bit more or a little bit less, it's fine if we do 99 innovations or uh, 102, it's fine as well, but that's to have a general ID. And so the plan now for the next uh, years, so it's to strengthen our activity in France, uh, because today we are quite good on the citizen side, but we still can grow uh, more on the citizen side in France and to get really major innovators, companies on board with like 3 million, 5 million, which we don't have yet, but that's in the plans we have for for what is coming. And then France is important, but we also have the international level, which is important. Time for the planet was always designed for that. And so today in the international level, it's still just starting. We are starting to do content in English, like this podcast, for example, before we, we were doing only French things. And it's going to accelerate step by step in, on the international level. And it's really important for us this, uh, this part because climate change is not something that is only about France, of course, it's about every country. And we, we think it's important that for a global problem, we, we get a global company trying to answer this. That's a big part of the plan. We would like to have, by the end of this year, at least 10 companies that have been financed. So it's Quite a nice goal. We have uh, five right now. We might uh, get two more very quickly. And so we need to do a few more. And yeah, so it's spreading that, making this a global adventure. Of course, to have as well the climate dividend that are starting to be really strong as well. Climate dividend today, we are not the one handling them. We, we created an association, a foundation that is taking care of climate dividend. But so to help climate dividend spread to get lots of climate dividend uh, emitted as well. And so our goal is basically to increase our impact. So we have just launched uh, right at the beginning of the year our counter of impact. So you can see the CO2 that we are uh, saving thanks to time for the planet. And so a big goal is to increase that and not only increase that, but also really 
get free license working. So that's, as I said, that's uh, the first time we will do. And that's one of our big goal for the few next year is to make free license something that's work well, that is quite strong and, you know, is working well. And of course, we want by 2031 to get our first shareholders, if they want to, to, to leave the adventure and to give them back the money they put in. So uh, that's one bingo. And the way we want to do that is basically when we invest in a company, after a few years, we should get returns. And these returns, we will use all of them to continue the adventure. And if it works well, that's why we don't distribute financial dividend as well, is because this money will be entirely used uh, for the mission. And so that's one of our big goals, to, to reach a point where Time for the Planet doesn't need anymore to run after investor, but is self-sufficient and can just be financed by the innovation we financed already by 2031. So that's a big challenge, but that's one of the things we really want to achieve. How do you raise money for your own operations? So the team, and not only the team, but the expenses. So we have legal, legal expenses. We have the website expenses. There are a few things. So of course, we need to run time for the planet, and it's quite important. And so the way we do that is there is a percentage of the fund we raise that go to our expenses. So a part goes to our expenses, and a part goes to the innovation. Right now, it's 10% that goes to all expenses of time for the planet and 90% that goes uh, to, to the innovations, to financing the innovation. And so this is uh, written in our article of associations. If at one point we want to change it for whatever reason, if we think it's relevant to change it, then we have to make a vote in the general meeting. So it's decided by the shareholders themselves what we can do or not. Right now it's 10%. It's controlled by our supervisory board. We have each year to, to show our, our accounts and uh, they are actually public on our website. So people can see that we are respecting uh, this rule. So that's the first rule we have. And we also have a second rule, uh, which is specifically for the managing director, is that we can't earn more than uh, four times the minimum French salary because we are all French right now. So this is also to control the expenses, to avoid to, to have too many expenses. And it's quite important for us because right now we, we know what our value, but time for the planet will grow. And it's important for us to have this kind of rules in place to make sure that people will keep the same spirit from uh, the beginning of the adventure. So yeah, so it comes from the funds we are raising for globally for time for the planet. You know, with that, I must thank you, but I just will take a minute or two to reflect. Obviously, this has been a fascinating conversation. And the fact that you have called in citizen investors, but at the same time, citizen investors, by their talk within their companies they work in, have brought in large companies. The fact that people are investing for climate dividends, not financial returns, that you have taken valuation of the table, that you have a voting process that protects the rights of individual investors, uh, and that you are assessing both uh, with a combination of what I call common sense uh, intelligence and scientific investigation. The fact that you're focusing on the innovation and then building the team around it. The fact that you are uh, making the innovations open source for creating rapid dissemination. The fact that you yourself have in a fairly transparent way of working. To me, all this really sounds bit like what capitalism can be actually, perhaps should be in, as we uh, face 
the climate change crisis. I mean, I don't want to get hyperbolic, but I just have to say that the French have had significant contributions in the world of philosophy, and perhaps you are changing the philosophy of business. Yeah, that's uh, basically what I say quite a lot is the first innovation of time for the planet is time for the planet itself. And it's to show that companies can be something else that just making profit and then can actually have a huge impact and a positive impact on a society. So, yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you, how should they? On our website, of course, they can go on Time for the Pet website, which is uh, join-time.com. And then we have a contact form if they want to. We also do a Q&A live session regularly on our social media. And of course, we are available on LinkedIn. So we are very active on LinkedIn, as you said at the beginning, I think. And so they can contact me directly if they want to. So Cécile Duranton uh, on LinkedIn. And we will be very happy to answer. Thank you, Cécile. And very best of luck. Thank you. If you like this podcast, do visit us on regainparadise.org, regainparadise.com. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and you can also subscribe to these podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, and YouTube.